This is a Suno India production and you are listening to Climate Emergency. What you just heard is the voice of the forest owlet, an endangered bird that is found only in certain pockets of India and nowhere else in the world. The population of these birds are low with sparse distribution in India. In this story, we will take you through the life of these birds. What do they eat? What threatens them? And why? Is climate change deforestation taking away its habitat? This and much more. Though many researchers have worked on these birds, for this story, we shall look into two crucial research papers and talk to their authors. Where the first research paper demystifies the bird's scientific classification, the second paper looks at ancient climate change and the bird's possible distribution across four different time periods. Hello, I'm Sharda Balasubramanian and I'm doing this podcast on forest owlets for Suno India. So now, let's take you back in time to 1882. Yes, forest owlet history dates back to 1882. It was the time when an Irish officer described forest owlets from Chhattisgarh in eastern Madhya Pradesh. He thought the owl looked different. Until 1884, seven of these birds were collected from different Indian states. This was to create a distribution record of the forest owlets from a particular region or a time. After that, no one even heard about forest owlets. Shomita Mukherjee, a scientist from Salim Ali Center for Ornithology and Natural History, who worked on the forest owlet research, believes people could have just stopped spotting these species. Let's hear what she has to say. It didn't disappear. People didn't locate it, no? People couldn't spot it. Thing is, it also looks very, very similar to the spotted owlet. It was missed, basically. Prachi Mehta, Senior Scientist and Executive Director of Wildlife Research and Conservation Society has been working on the ecology of forest owlets. And this is what she has to say about these birds. After that, uh, suddenly there was a lull and no, there was no more collection of the birds. It does not mean the bird wasn't there, but maybe it mm-hmm. was not collected for a long time. So mm-hmm. then, uh, you know, anyway, the species was described by then for Indian ornithology. And mm-hmm. uh, by then, you know, uh, I think by mid early 90s, 1920 mm-hmm. or something, you know, like 30s or something, Dr. Salim Ali and all also started putting it in his book, you know, like the, Indian, okay. the book of Indian birds of Indian subcontinent. So okay. where, see now, all the skins which were collected, no, they were not with us. They were in British okay. Museum. So mm-hmm. from whatever descriptions the science, uh, the AOU and uh, the collectors had written in paper, Mm-hmm. So uh, from that, they made an illustration which looks very similar to the spotted owl. Yeah. So all of us, you know, all of us were looking mm-hmm. for a species which looked like a spotted owlet. It's very similar. In fact, it is really not that similar. In 1976, Ripley, a well-known ornithologist and author of prominent bird reference books, wrote a paper. And in this, he listed the possibly extinct birds of India. Those birds of which there were no records. And forest owlet was one among such birds. The well-known ornithologist Salim Ali also looked for the forest owlet at Mail Ghat in Maharashtra. However, 
he also could not detect the species. Researchers say that this is perhaps because he did not have the calls of the bird. Also, I think it is important that I mention this now. When I spoke to Prachi, she told me that the calls of forest owlet and spotted owlet were different. They also looked different, but only a trained eye could spot this difference. After almost 113 years of silence on forest owlets, in 1997, Pamela Rasmussen, a taxidermist from the Smithsonian Institute, was compiling the book Birds of South Asia. While she was looking at the forest owlet specimen, she started comparing it with the illustration of the bird in Salim Ali's book. Then she realized this was different because this bird had a white belly and looked strong and big. Rasmussen and her team left for India in 1997 and started searching for the bird. While searching, they found a different-looking bird in an open forest in Maharashtra. They realized it was the forest owlet. Soon after Rasmussen's rediscovery, the Bombay Natural History Society started their survey. After that, more people started working on the species. From 2005, Prachi and her team started their survey. To begin with, they neither had the bird skin or the bird call. Also, there was very little historical information about forest owlets. So, what was the starting point? Prachi explains. Mm-hmm. We started doing it, and uh, that time also we did not find anything. That time in Odisha or Chhattisgarh, mm-hmm. we found uh, one site in Madhya Pradesh, a new place. And by then, okay. Nilgat was already reported by BNHS. So, what we realized, no, that see, Sharda, mm-hmm. this is a small cavity uh, nesting owl, which is only okay. found in India. It is endemic to India. Endemic, okay. It's not, okay, okay. Yeah, it's not found outside India. Shomita wanted to look at the distribution of the species, where they occurred, and she says, "It's found only uh, like in Maharashtra, Gujarat, and Madhya Pradesh. As of now, mm-hmm. that's what we know. Although there were historical records from elsewhere, there were several right. studies that Prachi had done. Her surveys indicated that they are not found in the earlier, like in the eastern parts, like Chhattisgarh and all these places where they were." originally found okay so basically we wanted to know what is it that is driving its distribution and where else can it probably occur when i spoke to shomita she also told me this though the birds were not found in places where they were originally found like chatisgarh it does not mean that the birds are not there anymore just that they were there but perhaps not detected during the surveys Long-term studies and surveys in these very areas are needed for further understanding of the species. From 2005 to 2008, Prachi and her team surveyed across five Indian states looking for forest owlets, and then she published a paper in Birding Asia. So, Prachi, tell us about what you found on the field. So, we started a study. in 2012 in madhya pradesh where the where we had found a new site no there you know there the population is there but all this forests are reserved forest so they are being logged for timber logging okay so but uh, even then the forest owlet is there you know in that kind of a habitat so we did this uh, study for four years there from 2013 to 17 to understand mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. is the impact you know of uh, human interference you know tree felling 
timber logging also like right. no it was in one district and the next district this district it was not found like in when we were doing a wide uh, central india survey so there is some affinity to teak forest so we are still studying all that you know so it's not very easy to understand pankaj koparde an evolutionary ecologist and currently an assistant professor at MIT World Peace University in Pune worked on forest owls for his phd he runs a lab by the name chatur ullu a lab focusing on research about ullu which is owls and chatur which are dragonflies so pankaj tell us more about your research on forest owls owls are recognized based on their calls generally all the species of owls are highly camouflaged so it's difficult to spot them but scientifically conducted call based surveys can increase chances of locating an owl to understand forest owls better it was important to look at the other owl species who are sharing the same habitat and how they coexisted in the same space and when all the owl species were sharing the same space why were their populations different prachi says more i cannot study a species in isolation i cannot say ki oh, it has not got low breeding success so what uh, what about the mm. other owls which are in the same area does it have right. a low breeding or does it have a similar breeding success so i included all other uh, assemblage of owls also like you know spotted owl jungle owl mm-hmm. scop then even the larger mm-hmm. owls like uh, mottled wood owl brown fish mm-hmm. owl eagle owl because they all share the same habitat i wanted to understand that what is it you know that makes this species so special There was a need to understand the contiguity of their population, how widespread is their population, and if there are breaks. Also, what do forest owls prey on? Let's hear more about Prachi's work and how it helps understand forest owls better. Rodent is their max, uh, maximum uh, prey, you know, and their highest prey mm-hmm. they they consume is the rodents. And all owls take uh, rodents. So we need to understand, you know, how they are feeding on all this. So I have weaved in all this part in <laughs> my research, like looking at the breeding, okay, uh, okay. site selection, looking at the diet, looking at their movement. Of course, this uh, biotic pressures. What are the impact on the biotic right. pressures? Right. And we study right. the same methodology for all all the eight species of owls. Uh, Among birds, also, it's like you know they are different size. They may prey on different, and their activity times are different. You know, so right. but we need to right. understand how they are doing all this, uh, sharing the. Sure. That's how they are able to survive because they're all similar sized, you know, owls. Oh. Uh, so they, they, so we will assume that they will require similar kind of uh, prey, but their activity okay. is different, and they also feed on different sized prey, different species of prey, and different spectrum of prey. So all that okay. you know, I published, and I, it was a very interesting insight which we got. Even the breeding season doesn't coincide with each other. Forest owls start pairing from October till February or March at the most if they will have a second clutch which is a second group of eggs to hatch and then from February to March is the season for spotted owls from April to June it's the jungle owl's turn it's interesting and equally fascinating to know how they segregate their breeding times over the year they are not out competing each other they are making resources available for each other it's a pretty good coexistence both prachi and pankaj had told me that forest owls prefer teak trees in the woods they need larger older trees to find cavity and nest 
logging in certain areas affects this nesting more specifically in those forested spaces where teak is logged illegally prachi tells us more about this in madhya pradesh you know we had a workshop with the field staff and we okay. said that you should stop timber logging in an areas where the forest solid is found because see, they don't make cavities on their own they are secondary cavity nesters okay so a okay, cavity right. which is a preformed na they will right. use that now if we remove they if you remove the those kind of cavity trees during say logging or tree mm. felling you know okay. so that resource for that species is gone unless another woodpecker comes or another a bird comes which makes till then it doesn't have a nest so yeah it doesn't have and they also roost inside they also eat their prey inside the cavity you know it's called caching right. like a oh. refrigerator so very interesting you know they'll hide it there so when the the prey is ample you know they'll keep it for the you know rainy days kind of thing so cavities play a very important role in owlets uh, life the forest owlet uh, selects a very small entrance uh, entrance uh, the cavity see the one of the reason is that you know otherwise predators also go inside for so other birds and they will feed on the eggs and they and right. we have seen that attacks on the forest owlet because it's a diurnal bird no my natural predation so they go for specific size so we are trying to see the size of the cavity and the breeding success like you know in madhya pradesh i saw one female which is young female i thought was quite you know like she looked also young and she had laid six eggs on a tree which is by the okay. road side it is very wide uh, you know which had a very wide cavity this is very unusual you know yeah. and she laid six eggs and then she three of them hatched and she had also put three other rodents in that you know mm-hmm. <laughs> on top of so she was storing food and uh, one find they all the everything disappeared you know so some rodent so we what we do nowadays is we put camera traps to see you know what is right. happening otherwise you have no clue what uh, a snake would get in you know mongoose yeah. would get in so they're all always predating us the big opening always invites the predator so right, right. a small opening that way but then small opening the bird has to struggle to go in it takes a little mm. bit of time So you know, see the cavity is very important for its survival. The size and the shape of the cavity. So that's why these minute micro features, you know, of its habitat, yes, which we yes. we are looking at. So in male guard, very interestingly, they go only for teak. Okay. Teak. Mostly, yeah, okay. teak. Tectonas, because uh, that is like most common. Though Madhya Pradesh also was a teak-bearing forest, they didn't go for teak. You know the reason because teak was felled. availability of teak was becoming uh, less you know so they started nesting in other kind of uh, softwood trees and all so okay. that also affects species survival how right. how good is the wood inside to hold this also brings us to a crucial issue of land use change how could fragmented habitats impact the distribution of forest owlets how is the land used or how have the habitats changed over the years these are the key drivers to understand the space where forest owlet dwells pankaj took this up in his research he analyzed something called vegetation fraction let me explain this in a very simple way we can say that this vegetation fraction is a tool to monitor the land cover space It's a great tool to look at ecological or environmental changes that are happening in a region. In this case, wherever forest owlets occurred, Pankaj plotted grids 
to understand the vegetation cover and how this changed yearly between 2011 and 2018 in areas where there was a very moderate change let's say where the vegetation fraction has reduced or increased minutely forest owlets have been found and in those areas where there was a drastic change in vegetation fraction forest owlets were not found and here's what the impact of this could be pankaj explains more in general uh, the land use as i have mentioned land use is a big factor you know the habitat loss is actually a big factor so if a huge amount of land goes you know under other activities non forest activities then that could be a trouble if you look at the geographical distribution of forest owlet the biggest population is known from meghat tiger reserve so that is very fortunate because it's a protected area and uh, there is very little disturbance within the protected area but there are populations which are outside the protected area and that is where most of the concern comes in because uh, there uh, legally protection is not available and the land might be chaired by multiple stakeholders and they perhaps use their resources the way they they we want uh, that could perhaps uh, endanger the species in uh, areas which is outside the protected areas in madhya pradesh prachi and her team worked with the field staff from the forest department and told them to stop timber logging in the areas where forest owlets were found let's hear more from prachi officers are very cooperative and they said wherever the owlets are found immediately said okay, okay you tell us which which compartment and we yeah. will stop felling from there from tree felling which is such a okay. good thing because you know tree Absolutely. is a major resource uh, in a revenue no so what right. i feel that you know research finding should always go and the forest department should work hand in hand you know like the, the researchers and the forest department because we are doing research so that you know it can be implemented in a better way by the department that was not all to know where the forest owlets go how they live where they find their prey what they eat where they nest there was so much more to be understood to find an answer here's what prachi did she took up color banding technique she received training on how to use this technique from owl scientists in the us it's as simple as fixing a tiny colorful strip on the leg of the bird and yes with this you can watch them over and most importantly since all these owlets look similar color bands helped to differentiate the birds and this color banding is done with the permission of the forest department officials for a specific number of birds here's prachi telling us more on how this works and most importantly why color banding is done to identify individuals population they were not to count population okay, how many mm. birds are there we still mm-hmm. don't have an estimate we uh, catch the uh, bird you know by showing it a tra- you know like a ra- rodent or something and mm. then uh, you put a color uh, plastic uh, very lightweight 0.1 gram you know i get it from usa those uv resistant colors sometimes you get and red okay. and blue and you know different color combinations we have okay and uh, we put it on the talons you know on your its uh, shin and that just you just um, rolls like that it, you don't have to do anything you just put it like that then you leave it we take measurements we take the body weight and all and we leave it within like 15 minutes and i can do it in 12 minutes you know like i've got okay. so everything is finished in 12 minutes we release the bird 
and then the bird will the, the bangs don't bother them at all because it's like you know around yeah. its leg sometimes these bangs may come out or sometimes the colors are not visible because the way the owls sit you know right. the feathers right. color so we have to take, get some different more brighter color so if the bird flew away after breeding did it come back the next year and if it did come back was it the same bird with color banding one can understand this and also the movement of the birds prachi says more banding really helps in knowing that a, a bird which i had banded in location mm. a is it mm. coming to location a always that means they are very sight fiddle they also mm-hmm. move to location d which is like say 2 kilometers away or 6 kilometers away which i saw in madhya pradesh i saw movement of bird oh. they were going as far as 6 kilometers and oh, uh, one okay. of the young uh, juvenile he mated mm-hmm. with a female who i had banded 4 years ago and this juvenile was like <laughs> just one year old he went there all the way looking for a mate so okay, this kind of information is very useful no so it does not have a mate in its area it had to go all the way there we have to think and understand and that female who just 4 year old banded she came to the same site so she had a resource you know she knew the okay. next site is there which she can use so because it is banded right. you know we could make out all this kind of a chronology and its history you know ke okay, oh this is the same thing this is a very interesting uh, information we get from banding with color banding permission for 20 birds in melghat prachi tells us what we can find here so here also i am looking at a owl assembly you know like uh, mm-hmm. how are the species how they are distributed all mm-hmm. other eight owl species you know so i am looking at an assembly to understand because see that in madhya pradesh was a reserved forest and so there were uh, all things were going on timber logging here it is a protected area how it affects the you know, melghat is a protected area so how it affects with, with the protection we will assume okay, you know its breeding success is much better yes. yeah and the population is also higher in melghat the research for one looked at ecological aspects that gives us more information about the owlets along with ecology genetics was looked into bringing in new information that was not available earlier for instance from the bird feathers that prachi had pankaj looked at the dna sequencing of the bird all the earlier data on forest owlets was more relating to morphology which is size shape or structure of the bird This study went one step further by gathering genetic data. Shomita explains why and how this information is beneficial for conservation research. You can get amazing information from uh, history because your genes are basically carried over generations. So you can look at individual genes what kind of an impact they are doing you can look at whole genomes and see what kind of how it's changing. you can plot it over a climatic map and see what is happening it's a tremendous amount of information that you can get with genetics but we are going nowhere near it in india for some reason in india just skimming the surface the genetic research opened information about the species which were not known earlier also the confusions around the scientific classification of the bird the relatedness of the bird to others was also changing When Rasmussen placed them in a group known as heteroglocks the new genetic data indicated that this bird would fit into the Athene clade let me tell you Athene is a group of owls with several species and they come from a specific genetic lineage 
cleared here refers to a common ancestor. Pankaj will tell us more on what this genetic research has shown us and what it tells us about the forest owls. It was unique information because all the earlier notion of forest owls placement were sort of challenged by this new data. We recommended that naming it heteroglox uh, may not be a good option perhaps. We call it as Athini, retaining its previous nomenclature. So uh, this was this was the recommendation that we gave based on our data. And of course, uh, this is not the final verdict. With some additional data, new analysis may come up and uh, our recommendation may get strengthened or challenged. But in the first paper, we gave the tentative recommendation about the change in nomenclature. Along with the genetic information, the research also involved molecular dating. Well, let's hear what is molecular dating from Pankaj. So with the molecular dating, you get an idea of the divergence time. So sort of we go back in time with the, using the genetic data and uh, uh, we estimate when the divergence might have taken place. So for us, the divergence of forest owlet was estimated around 4.3 to 5.7 million years ago. And that is one of the oldest uh, sort of divergence when it comes to these species of owls, Athene owls. This led to another probe. How could the population of forest owlets have diverged in different climatic periods? This question led to another publication on ancient climate data and divergence. Interestingly, the time of divergence of forest owlet coincided with the Pleistocene time, which goes back to 5 million years. The divergence of the forest owlet is estimated between 4.3 to 5.7 million years ago. And when these two time periods matched, it led to an idea that perhaps this divergence of forest owlets was connected to changes in ancient climate. And there could be some answers on why these species might have diversified from its ancestors. Is forest owlet narrowly distributed because of the past climatic changes? Also, in this time that we are living in, are climatic changes explaining the current distribution of forest owlets? The explorations are on, and here's what Robin Vijayan, scientist from Indian Institute of Science Education and Research, has to say. The data that we collected cannot answer the current uh, distribution patterns. Okay. Only thing it can do is throw some light about historic patterns uh, mm-hmm. on how the species may have emerged, and which is about 5 million years back. There's a subscription paper which Pankaj and all of us wrote, which was on the effect of historic climate change on uh, these outlets. And that, if you see, you know, he's made some very nice maps and things like that about how the distribution may have contracted and then expanded and then contracted again. And this is with just historic climate. And that uh, kind of reveals that the forest outlet may have undergone these uh, cycles of uh, distribution change. Evolution of the bird and changing climate. What's the possible connection? A species that is so tied to climate, you can assume that it has been isolated because of some climatic change. And this is a reason for several species, not just for this species. So because of climate, some habitats are contiguous. And then the climate right. changes and the habit, mm-hmm. uh, the habitat contiguity breaks. These are all natural processes. And it mm-hmm. happens over millions of years. And when it is isolated for millions of years, often Mm -hmm. that kind of becomes a different species. So this is 
one of the main processes of uh, speciation. So in some sense, it's not anything unique for this species. Mm-hmm. It is just one among the species where this process has been noticed. In islands, oceanic islands, I know people, mm-hmm. you know, that is very famous about how islands get isolated and things like that. So if you have a shallow island isolation, let's say like Sri Lanka and India, when the climatic shifts happen and when it becomes drier, the water ocean level goes down and the two islands can get connected and uh, they can get separated when the climate changes again. So it's very similar, except that it's not water, but it's the vegetation. So the vegetation can move back and forth you know, the wet habitats or the dry habitats uh, move over millions of years, creating these isolated pockets. So how species are, how tightly a species is tied to some of these will actually result in either extinction or speciation. It seems to have been impacted by the same climatic uh, changes that the other parts of India have been impacted by and in turn have resulted in uh, a new species. But very broadly, you know, it looks like uh, these three owlets, if you compare them, clearly forest owlet seems to be very climatically sensitive. So, which means that, uh, you know, it kind of it was responding to the climatic changes very rapidly. One thing led to another. With the first published paper on genetic study was being done, Pankaj found a clue on how climate could be shaping geographical distribution of the species. He says more about this. That's why we pursued the next paper. And in fact, there, there are very few studies which, which have actually looked at ancient climate and how that might have affected uh, species which are living today. So there are only a few such papers globally. So starting from 140,000 years till now, uh, little owl, jungle owlet, and the spotted owlet, they show more or less a progressive trend of increasing areas under the suitable climate. Whereas for forest owlet, there were fluctuations. In the very past, around 1,40,000 years back, the forest owlet's mm-hmm. suitable climatic areas were widespread. Mm-hmm. Then around 22,000 years back, they shrunk. And in around 6,000 years back, they again sort of expanded, but very little. And then in the today's climatic space, uh, they again shrunk. So there there have been uh, cycles of expansion and reduction in the suitable climatic areas for the forest outlet. So uh, with this data, again, we thought that climate is again one of the driving factors which may you know affect different species of owls differently. And that basically because perhaps their habitat or the vegetation uh, gets affected because of the climate and perhaps it you know results into the changes in resources or prey and so on. Both the understanding of the ecology and genetic analysis had led to increased information on the forest owlets. Researchers believe that conservation genetics could offer vital insights on the species. However, there are very few groups doing this in India. Pankaj talks more. There are, of course, many people working on tiger genomics and elephant genomics. Again, for species which are high conservation priority. But for species like forest owlet or, you know, other smaller birds or insects, there is there are only a few groups which are actually working on genetics. 
He also said that if the population connectivity and genetics of the forest owlet were known, we could have got a great idea on their migration patterns. And that actually would be really good if we want to do conservation management of the species. Genetics, land use change, ecology, color banding, ancient climate data, and its link to forest owlet divergence, they all have contributed to better understanding of forest owlets. In the current situation, what kind of strategies would work towards conservation of the forest owlets? Pankaj tells us more. We need to be specific. Regionally, the problems change. Societies change. So even the philosophy of conservation changes. So the solution cannot be a blanket solution, but has to be worked out at various places. The basic conservation strategy uh, would be to first locate the population of the species and then assess threats to them. Well, uh, we know of Meghat, it's one of the largest populations. We also have forest outlets in Tansa Wildlife Sanctuary, which is another protected area. So there are many populations within the protected area where birds are under legal protection. Uh, there are some populations outside the protected area and that is where the whole issue of conservation pops up. That's where we can't really control what happens to them. A thorough understanding of uh, their geographical distribution and perhaps at a later stage, if we could point out the habitat connectivity and corridors, then we can have a better conservation strategy. When India is pacing up the development projects, it is crucial to understand and study these species before we lose them all. Prachi tells us more. Now we have lost the bustard. No, now we are doing capture. Yes. Because yes. we have lost yes. its habitat. So there are no bustards left in the wild in Maharashtra. At least. It's a very yeah. small. Earlier they were very widely distributed. Two or three decades, I think I remember. Mm. It's just gone because of habitat loss. That and you know, true. now we have yeah. to have to, to do captive breeding. Same thing about yeah. the fluorescent. Many species like that, no? So with all mm. the developmental projects coming, with all of you know, pressure on the habitat, okay. so there is a imminent uh, need to mm. know its habitat requirement, what are its diet requirement, how, where it feeds, yes, where it goes. Yes, yes. Not much is known about owls in India. Precisely why there is a need for long-term studies on owls. There is still no accurate estimate on the number of forest owlets. But what we now know is that the forest owlets are in four pockets of India, where diverse stakeholders are working on protecting the forests and species. Prachi believes if these people come together, it will work towards conservation. Let's listen to what she advocates. So what I feel, it should not put nuisance and all, but I feel generally people should be more pro-research mm. and connected to conservation. So we have to like join hands. Even conservationists, mm. even activists have a good role to play. So, you know, it's right. not like one against the other. We should not try right. to go against the other person. You have to come to a common platform. The forest department, exactly. the researcher, the conservationist. We can all come together and it will be a very fruitful outcome for the species. So, you know, engaging with the local people or implementing proper policies. Researchers will right. give you the inputs. So, it can be a multi-partite uh, contribution mm. for research. Instead of opposing, I think that is one thing which yeah. I feel. Researchers, you know, need to be trained the field by, to be a good field biologist. And exposure mm. is required to see what kind of work is done outside India. People yeah. work for 40-40 years, you know, in, in, a, in a landscape. To understand right. the species, understand the demography. 
like people have in arab countries they have banded some 4600 gubara busters 4600 wow you see the, the kind of intensity of work so you know kind of data the kind of understanding you generate it won't be questionable here if i work with very few words you know i mean mm-hmm. also that also makes you understand is it like the trend or is it the sample size what is it so i feel that scientific spirit and mm. training you know yeah. and a collaborative spirit amongst a different section of society you know is very yeah. important Also in the midst of conservation research Prachi has been bringing in communities that are associated with these forests she tells us how she roped in the communities into conservation local people now you have to involve because we yes. always say you know, they cut the tree but why they cut the tree they cut yeah. the tree is they require money there is no livelihood in many areas you know right. and they they have no income source so right. for them it is like you no know, backyard may one tree is standing i'll just cut it i don't care the owl is there So first of all, hmm. we started a lot with conservation, and then we started giving them. See, just giving money, I it's don't like that. It's not a long term. Yeah. yeah, it's not a long I term. I thought sustainable. Most women yeah. can do some good teaching, you know. Let's make some owl themed uh, teaching, uh, you know, keychains and all, you know, from kapda. So we started training them in making those things, and mm-hmm. uh, they picked up very well, yeah. And then we said, okay, we'll market it for you. We just you make it, we'll pay you mm-hmm. the money, but in return of that. you need to protect any owls in your farms you should not cut the trees you know so whatever mm-hmm. income you are getting at least you know so we are like in touch with them we are talking to them so that, that is how i we started this livelihood conservation uh, program you know getting women uh, included in so wherever we are working like in karnataka they make elephant theme handicraft in right. here they make tiger themed so the species which they uh, we are they are sharing the landscape with Right. identifying it with as an income provider you know some type of an income but right. at least you know then they'll think twice you know because then you get an affinity a profile of the species changes so we are right. trying our best you know to get people involved with this the forest owl's rediscovery was fascinating and it's commendable how researchers are working on these rare species however the voices of the forest owls could be muffled forever if the 2020 environmental impact assessment draft is passed and here's why the central government proposed to expand the akola khandwa railway line through the melghat tiger reserve and this could impact the survival of forest owls which are already endangered almost 38 kilometers of this railway line will pass through this forest the state government of maharashtra has reached out to the union minister of environment and the union minister of railways requesting them for an alternative route else this massive construction operation right inside the forest could prove to be a doomsday for the wildlife here thank you for listening to this episode of climate emergency If you like this episode and would like to support the work that we are doing please contribute generously at sunoindia.in/support You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple iTunes Google Podcast Castbox or wherever you're listening to this podcast or you can go to our website sunoindia.in